This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Bookmarked, a YA book podcast. Uh, it's like old times because I'm driving. <laughs> My name is Saul, and I'm joined today by two other members of the Bookstack team. The first is Christy. Hey, guys. And then Spencer. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thank you both for being here. I'm super excited to jump into this episode because this is our final book club discussion of the year. I, I hope everybody doesn't mind if I kind of jump into a little mini retrospective here. But the book club was a brand new thing we launched this year. Uh, we didn't know if it was, we were going to keep it. We were experimenting with it. Uh, we read three books, the first being Concrete Rose by Angie Thomas, then Legendborn by Tracy Dion, and now finally Iron Widow by Shirin J. Zhao. And when we first set out to start this series, we wanted to highlight diverse books with diverse voices. And I really do feel like each book we've read has had its own unique twists and messages, and each has brought something special to the landscape of YA. And I can at least say for myself that I, they've, it's been a huge joy to read each of these books. And I also feel like our listeners have enjoyed these book club episodes. We've noticed a couple of you on Instagram tagging us in your posts about the books we've read. Um, and that brings us a lot of excitement to know that there are other people out there participating with us. And then I'll also mention, too, that uh, these book club episodes have been up there as some of our most popular episodes of the year uh, for 2021. So overall, I'd say it's been a lot of fun. And next year, we're hoping to fit in four books rather than three, uh, because it's definitely something we want to keep going. And uh, yeah, just a thank you to anybody who has participated by listening to our book club discussions. If you've enjoyed the book club series that we've been doing, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or anywhere you might be listening to us. And um, yeah. I think with all that said, the last thing I wanted to go over are just a couple of content warnings. First off, we will be discussing Iron Widow in depth, which means that there are going to be spoilers. So if that's going to be an issue for you, like you're not quite finished with the book yet, put us on pause, finish reading, and then come back and listen. And we do hope you do come back. <laughs> uh, we'll be here waiting for you. And then I just want to echo the content warning found at the beginning of the book. I don't know because this episode... Because the show isn't scripted, I don't know how much we're actually going to dive into these topics specifically, but I feel like there's a good chance we'll touch on them in some way. So again, this comes from the book. The story touches on topics of sexual violence and abuse, suicide ideation, sexual assault, alcohol addiction, and torture. And we just want to make sure our listeners are aware of that before proceeding. Uh, so with all that out of the way, let's jump into our discussion about Iron Widow by Shirin J. Zhao. All right, so Iron Widow was billed as Pacific Rim meets Handmaid's Tale, and I feel like that was very appropriate. And I point that out because sometimes when it comes to comp titles, I feel like the book doesn't actually quite fit it. 
but this one for sure does, in my opinion, at least. Uh, the book came out a couple of months ago, and I kind of wanted to ask you, Christy, a question, because you got to read this book early, and you were the one who sort of, I think, put it on our radar. And I was just kind of wondering, what was it about this book that caught your attention? Like, did you see find it while scrolling through NetGalley, or had you been following the author? Because I know they have a large YouTube channel. Or was it just the general hype on social media? Just what kind of drew you to this book? Yeah, so I actually, yeah, I got the book early. And it was because on NetGalley, they had like a special where, you know, like the read now. So I was able to grab the book then. And so, yeah, I read it back this past summer, actually. And I was in a huge reading funk. So it kind of took me out of that. So I was really happy. And yeah, what you said about um, Pacific Rim, I'm a huge fan of Pacific Rim. And I think that's what really drew me into this story. So yeah, that's what I really loved about it. That's neat. And I I do say I feel like Pacific Rim and Handmaid's Tale were very appropriate. But I also say that a little ignorantly because I've never actually seen Pacific Rim. (laughs) (laughs) Based off of what I've seen from the trailers, it just felt like it fit in really well. So um, that's awesome. The the reason I ask you that is just because I actually didn't know a lot about this book uh, before it became a contender for our book club. I think toward the end of the summer, when there was probably a lot of hype being built up, I took a massive step back from social media. And then in September, I took an even bigger step back from social media. And I'm only just barely returning to like Twitter just in the last week or so. And because of that, I knew nothing about this book uh, and some of the discussions about the barriers it was breaking down. I really only had the book synopsis to go on. And I am familiar with Shirin J. Zhao's videos. I, I have seen them. Uh, so I kind of had a little bit of an idea of what to expect because of that. But otherwise, I really went into this book blind, having missed all of the discussions leading up to the publication and then also when the book was actually published. Just really quickly, all three of us have come with a takeaway or two for this book that we're going to discuss here. And I figured I could just start by saying that having jumped in, knowing nothing about this book, really, my takeaway is that I found this book to be very challenging. And I don't mean to say that it's challenging and that it's difficult to read or a chore to read. I like want to make it clear here that I actually really like this book. It's got some surprising characters. It's got some fantastic twists. It's got some very strong, memorable messages. Uh, So when I say it's challenging, what I mean is I feel like this book wants to challenge the reader. I felt like this book, as I was reading it, was challenging my expectations, especially my expectations of what a hero or a protagonist should be, and also my expectations, which, man, this one really floored me, my expectations of love triangles (laughs) and sort of, uh, I mean, wow, I just, I was stunned and had to reread uh, that part of the book a few times. Uh, but I just love that Shirin J. Zhao clearly had reader expectations in mind when they wrote the book. At least I feel like they did, especially when it comes to tropes. And I got the sense that they were having so much fun as they wrote the book, just having fun dismantling those tropes and undermining reader expectations. And for me as the reader, it was a lot of fun to have myself challenged in that way. And I'm just curious, did either of you feel that yourself as you were reading this book? Uh, yeah. So I actually read their Goodreads review on this and they talked about how everyone in the publishing, they told them that it was going to be a challenge, that they should 
go with the typical love triangle trope in YA, but they really wanted to break down the barrier and do a polygamous relationship in this book. So I think that was the biggest, like, whoa, this is in YA kind of thing. So I really love that, actually, because I haven't read any other books that had a polygamous relationship. So yeah, that was actually one of my favorite aspects of the book, definitely. So I want to make sure, too, are, is it those the word we need to use polygamist or polyamorous? Or is it when I think polygamist, I, I think <laughs> one man with a bunch of wives. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that's true. OK, yeah. Hey, everyone, this is Saul from the future. I am currently editing this episode, and I decided to quickly Google polygamist and polyamorous, which I hope I'm pronouncing that second term correctly. So apparently polygamy is gender neutral, which I didn't know, Um, but it does typically involve spouses, so there usually is marriage involved. So in this book, that isn't the case. So I think the correct term would still be polyamory. And again, I hope I'm pronouncing that term correctly, but I just thought I'd add that clarification in here really quickly. Okay, back to the show. Speaking to to the expectations, one thing that I noticed in in the acknowledgments of the book, and, and I heard Siren J. Zhao talk about it in an interview, they said that when they first wrote the book, they wrote it, and when they sent it off to their agent, that the feedback was that this was not YA, that this was, you know, 18 plus or, or adult, but that this would never get published for a YA audience and that they had to go back and rewrite a lot of it and that they enjoyed rewriting it, though, they that, you know, forced them into to kind of being creative in some new ways. And so I, I really felt that it did stretch beyond what you would normally see in YA and not just in terms of like content because everything that was in this book we we have seen in other YA books in some shape or form but just you know this was different that this really felt I like the word that Saul used challenging and then to add to what Saul was saying I also felt I mean challenged as a as a male reader I have to admit I think it, it was very healthy for me to be challenged and and that I've I've read you know a lot of feminist literature and felt like okay I knew what to expect from a from a feminist YA book and then it it pushed me and challenged me to think think even further because it took me to places that I didn't think I was going to go. And so I do think that that is a sign of of a great book when it kind of defies your expectations, whether it's, you know, expectations of genre or, or expectations of theme that pushed me beyond what I thought I was going to be getting out of this story. I feel like one of the things that was being challenged sort of too is the typical YA hero. And maybe it is because the book was, as you mentioned, written with maybe a more adult mindset in the beginning. But there's something, I don't know, I really liked uh, Jetian. I hope I'm pronouncing her, uh, her name correctly. But I really, really liked this character because, again, this was somebody else who surprised me. She wants to take over the world. <laughs> and she's very serious about conquering it. But there was also just something really funny about her. Like, she has, like, this dark humor. And... It was something that I'm not used to reading because normally, I mean, like you said, Spencer, there are elements of this book that exist in other books. You've got your female protagonist here who is trying to break down barriers and change society. But there's just like the personality was so wild. There's a moment where I think Sima Yi is talking about Lee Shimin and how he tried to attack some guards or somebody 
And Zhe Tian is smiling, and Sima Yi does a double take and says, don't look impressed. And it's just like this hilarious moment. Or even like when she's brought in front of the like authoritative figures of this world and has to like answer for what she's done. She finds the situation so absurd that she actually like, if I'm remembering correctly, she starts to laugh. And it's just... That's not what you normally see. Like Katniss never laughed in the face of President Snow or President Coin or anything like that. But but Jetian does. And for me, it was very refreshing and really funny. And it really makes her stick out, I think, compared to a lot of the other YA book characters that I've read over the years. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite scenes from the book is when she like comes out and is like screaming at the cameras that are filming her. And she's like, welcome to your nightmare. That was one of my favorite scenes. I definitely think like she's a strong YA here and like she's probably one of my favorites now for sure. Yeah, I don't think I've found myself like cheering so hard actively for a protagonist almost because I felt like she was destined to fail again. That was my expectation was like, look, you can't just take over the world you know you're being slightly ambitious um but as the story unfolded i was just cheering like yes please take over the world i want to see it happen which i mean again is great because i I don't think i've ever really been actively cheering for someone to take over the world before um but in like jetian is such a great character that i yeah i support her in that endeavor um (laughs) i just remember i mean what's fun about the book is that She's saying all of these things in the beginning, and I'm just kind of laughing at it, endearingly laughing. And But when you get to the end of the books, and she's in the dragon and everything, and she's going to go for get her revenge on everybody, and I was just like, oh man, this is actually happening. Like, like She foreshadowed this in the beginning, and they were kind of joking about it in the beginning, but no, this is actually where the character story the character's story is going. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Anyway, that for me, that was probably my biggest one. I think there are a lot of other ways that I was also surprised. Uh, Alicia Mean was very surprising to me. Uh, we already discussed the love triangle as well. And maybe even going back to that, I just want to say, I, I think it was last year I wrote an article on Bookstacked about tropes and just how like tropes aren't necessarily a bad thing. I feel like oftentimes, like as a criticism, we say that book is too tropey. And the problem isn't usually that the book has tropes in it. Like tropes are very useful. The problem is that normally an author, when when somebody says a book is tropey, what they're saying is that the author isn't doing anything interesting with those tropes. And in that sense, it becomes very cliche. But I think this is a fantastic example of an author who is clearly aware of readers interpretations of tropes and cliches and is just very determined to break them down and I I, in that article that I wrote I'll link it in in the show notes but in that article I wrote about how I really liked uh, the Hunger Games love triangle generally I dislike love triangles I, I strongly dislike love triangles but I really liked it in the Hunger Games because I felt like it created Uh, suspense for Katniss and just added to the overall suspense of the games. And I talked just about how how they can be used as tools. I never imagined it being used in this way at all. As I was reading the book and it was obvious that there was a love triangle being set up, I was kind of a little worried that it was going to fall into this rut. And I was so pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. It was even kind of funny because after I read that passage, I was watching a video about how to survive 
if you're trapped at sea. And I don't know why I was watching that. <laughs> but the survivalist mentioned that if you have to create a structure, like a strong structure, a triangle is the way to go. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just read this <laughs> in Iron Widow. So that was pretty amazing. Something that I, I really enjoyed about the romance is the way, and, and I love that imagery of the triangle being the strongest shape because they really found strength in their relationships. There's this quote I highlighted. I was reading an ebook version, so it's, it's easy, easy to find. Uh, it says, when you cherish someone for how amazing they are, you don't pluck them from their roots just to watch them wither in your hands. You help them bloom into the incredible thing they're really meant to be. And I really love that quote, and I think that really is reflective of the character's approach to their relationship, that they seemed fully invested in each other in helping them to to be what they're supposed to be, to reach their full potential, and that the three of them together were more able to to reach that potential than any two of them alone, you know? So there was more strength in them in that love triangle as as to them in their separate relationships. I think the one other thing I would say is, speaking of challenging and also dismantling, I like how it's not just dismantling reader expectations or challenging reader expectations. It's also challenging just the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and, and all of that. I was very surprised by Lee Shamin's character. He is built in this way that you're supposed to fear him in the beginning. And then you realize that he's a huge softy and you feel so bad for him. And there were moments too. And I also like that, uh, Jetien's expectations of him were being challenged as well. And as as she's getting to know him, there were some really great moments where I, I think Lee Shamin, there's a quote where he says, uh, we're, as in men, are led to believe we're not allowed to care. And for me, like, I'm like, oh, that so reminds me of like toxic masculinity. Like this notion that men can't like cry or show emotion or anything. And, and I, for me, it highlighted how the patriarchy can not just harm women, although, of course, first and foremost, it harms them more than anyone, but it can also have these negative effects on men as well. And I thought that was such an interesting and eye-opening thing. Also, too, like the challenge toward rape culture as well. There's a part, too, where Alicia means like, you know, it's not a matter of men losing control. And I'm reading directly from the book here. He says, every guy who does something like that knows exactly what he's doing. There is always a moment where he consciously decides that he will ruin someone's life to better to feel better about his own always. And I'm like, yes, this is these are like the discourses that we need, because so often you hear like people making excuses for some of the most honestly horrific things that that happen in our in our society. And I just loved that here in this book, it was called out and challenged and so yeah, it's not it's not just challenging reader expectations, not just challenging tropes, but it's challenging also the the toxic patriarchy, toxic masculinity that that is so embedded in our in our culture. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this book dealt with a lot of heavy topics and everything was handled really well. And like you keep saying, like but it was definitely a challenging read and I think it's, I'm really happy that it's a, like considered a YA book because I think a lot of young readers will get a lot out of it. 
Yeah, putting on my my teacher hat, I already have been recommending this book to my students. Um, I was super happy to see it in my school library. So I was like pointing it out to some students I know who are big readers. And so I, I think you did such a great job summing up some of the messages that, um, like Christy said, I, I am really glad that this is YA. I'm so glad to have writers like Zirin Zhao writing for young people. They seem to know just exactly how to deliver these messages in a way where like the messages stood out so strongly, but were so entwined within the story. Because sometimes I think I lose sight, like when, when I want to learn about these topics, for example, I'll typically turn to a nonfiction book or even a contemporary novel. I typically don't turn to a fantasy sci-fi story, but this book was able to teach so much and reflect so much about the real world in such an amazing fantasy setting that I think is what hooks so many young readers. Like this is the type of story that so many young people are going to want to pick up because it is awesome uh, in every way from the mechas and the fighting to uh, to the world, like to the characters, to the romance, to the really strong and important messages. It's just awesome all the way through. Yeah. And can we just point out that people are picking this book up, which going back to Christie's comment earlier, you know, the author talked about how they were going to face resistance at every step of publication, which it sounds like that did end up happening. But this book, despite all of that, and despite challenging the reader in a myriad of ways, debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. I, I think, oh my gosh, it's, it's fantastic when you see something like that happen because, and that's why I said earlier too, this book is breaking barriers in that sense. It is at least hit the mainstream as far as YA goes. And I think I think it's incredible when that happens because just whenever that happens, you know, more barriers broken down, more opportunities for new voices to come in and share their stories. So it is fantastic that this book was published in the first place, despite all the challenges it, it faced. Uh, and it's been fantastic that it's done so well also that the community has embraced it so much. Oh, I just want to add to, I think, in, in our praise of it, the way that it's awesome all the way through, I should mention as well, of course, is the the representations of Chinese culture and history that for me, uh, I, I haven't read very much of before. And so that was also part of what made it just awesome all the way through in the way that the author was able to to work in parts of history. That was one of uh, my big takeaways that I'll share um, because after, or while I was reading, I was watching an interview with Zira and Jiao and they were explaining, I love what they said. They said, I'm not very creative, which I think was just a lot of humility because they obviously are, but they said, I'm not very creative. Uh, all of my characters were are based off of real figures in Chinese history. The acknowledgements of the book, of course, shout out Empress Wu. And so you know, I, I went to just read a little bit about some of these figures and, and most of them were entirely new to me. And I just thought it was such a fantastic way to do world building, like to create this world, to base this futuristic society completely off of uh, an actual historical one, I thought was really great. And so wondering what, what you two thought of that, the way that uh, Zero and Jia was able to create a future based off of a past. Yeah, that was one of my favorites too. I did the same thing. I looked up the historical uh, figures also, and I learned more about them, which was awesome. And then, yeah, so having like the setting kind of like an ancient China, but with futuristic tech was really cool. And it was all really done really well. So that was also one of my favorites. 
yeah, I just feel like aesthetically and atmospherically, is that a word? <laughs> um, it blends in so well and it works really well. I think the chrysalises, which we haven't really mentioned, play a huge role in that because they are formed after mythological creatures, as far as I could tell, like the nine-tailed fox or the vermilion bird. Yeah, taking sort of those iconic symbols I think, and then modernizing them in a mecha way, as as was done, I think that really helped sort of blend that old past with the future and made it a science fiction novel sort of, you know, that, that works really, really well. And it was really cool. I mean, those are the, the coolest part in, in a lot of ways of, of the book. That is, like Christy said, the, the Pacific Rim selling points of this book are, are the chrysalises. And it was really neat, too, to see how they blended so much with like chi and like the the internal mindset and struggles of the characters as well. I thought that was a really neat touch. Yeah, the the chrysalises in particular, I thought were just a a beautiful tool to see so much inside of the characters' thoughts and feelings. Like what a great writing device um to use that was just again so natural to the story but you were able to see so much into the character, how they were feeling and how they were like connecting, right? The way that they could blend their feelings and their thoughts could really feel out their relationships and the way that their relationships were changing. Like I think of the first time that Zetian and Lishiman were, you know, piloting together compared to like the last time that they were piloting together, you can really just see how their relationship has changed, just played out on the page and their thoughts and their feelings. So. I love the way that the chrysalises worked just inside and out and the way that I kept picturing like inside a character's mind to then having to picture a giant, you know, like mecha fighter and then back inside a character's mind. It was a really fun way to read through scenes and just see so many different angles of what was going on. I think we would uh, our podcast would not be complete if we didn't discuss the ending a little bit. And something that I loved was the way that there just continued to be all of these reveals throughout the story. One of these these great things that as you're, you know, in uh, Jetian's perspective, she keeps learning a little bit more pieces of the truth and she fights so hard to find out the whole truth and what's going on. And so when you start to finally realize what's going on with the female pilots and how they're being held back, I mean, it really clicks. Uh, it's like, of course, right? Like, of, of, of course, that makes sense. Of course, it's, uh, you know, we're not living in a world where the female pilots are just inherently weaker. You know, that never made sense to start with. And then I just wanted to to get your thoughts on in some of the final battle scenes when you start to uh, come across both the nomads and also you start to realize that the Quindwins have thoughts and like feelings. And all of a sudden, like this world that we saw behind the wall is not what we thought it was. And I just thought that was fascinating. And then, of course, we get kind of the ending hook where we are told that this w entire world has kind of been a lie that we are not living in, you know, Jetian's world as she thought we're living in the Huynden's world. And this is not even the planet. So to say that we thought it was, it was just like a lot of re revelations all at the end, which kind of served as almost like a cliffhanger as in like, I, once I heard all that, I was like, Oh, I need the second book very soon to figure out what's really going on here. So what did, how did you react to kind of those surprises and revelations and, and where do you think the story might be going next? With the Huindwins, I did get the sense as I was reading the book, I felt like, I think early on, I felt like there was more to the story than we were being given. So it didn't surprise me too much when we got to the end that they ended up having 
thoughts and and in the moment you kind of read the thoughts and they're talking about how humanity is the scourge of the earth and everything i was kind of like okay there's some there my suspicions are correct there's definitely something else going on here but i'm really excited to answer your question though about about the ending hook because i think especially we've just given all these praises about how how well shiren j zhao deconstructed like the, the patriarchy and toxic masculinity, I'm very, very excited to see them take on a theme like colonization, uh, which I feel like that is what this is being set up for uh, with that with that final twist. And uh, yeah, just kind of curious to know, to see how uh, Jitian sort of reacts to that and, and how she kind of tries to figure out her place in that, that system, that that has been set up, even though she's been fighting the system, she's also been a piece of that system as well. And so, and she's, she's killed a lot of Hwindwins herself. And so I'm, I'm very curious to know and to see what that reaction will be like from a story perspective. And I'm very excited to see uh, how the author might approach a topic like colonization. Cause I, I, I'm sure that they could do an incredible job with something like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I'm really excited about the next book. I highlighted one of the last lines where uh, Jetian is talking um, about, like, what about the quiet mountain, you know? And he's like, no, let's just take over the world. So that was one of my favorite parts. And I think that she's going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, talking about taking over the world earlier in the podcast, I hesitated. And that and that reason I hesitated was because I didn't want to jump to the ending right at the start of the podcast. But that was the moment when I was like, I was like, yeah, take over the world, take over the world. And then when they're like, this isn't the world you think it is, this world kind of belongs to somebody else. And I was like, oh, OK, maybe a little. OK, maybe we'll just return the world to who it belongs to. <laughs> and I also want to add uh, going to the next story. I'm also really looking forward to. Uh, I'll do my best with the pronunciation, Ija, um, having a bigger role. I, I kept saying Yeezy when I was reading, and I know that that's wrong, and so sorry. If, anyways, to try and flip the pronunciation now. But the way his final scene as well, standing up to his father, and just that whole moment like where he just he says, you know, like, Chetin, I believe you, and I'm going with what you say, and I trust you was like whew, what a like a big sigh of relief because i thought like that's where it was all going to fall apart but he continues to just be like amazing and such a great character and i feel like very like proud of him like i'm just like yes i love you so much you have not disappointed me at all you continue to just raise my expectations so i can't wait to see them pair up and hopefully after go after shimon and see you know if we can save him and obviously i don't think that we've mentioned some godlike beings coming into play into this story as well. And I wonder with a, a narrative heading towards colonization, I have really no idea what to expect if those godlike figures, again, will continue to be godlike figures or if they'll be revealed that they're something else, because of course, everything about this world has kind of been a lie <laughs> um, that we've been told. So anyways, lots to still to still figure out and see what comes next. Yeah, I kind of get the sense that they are not <laughs> what what uh, we were told, and that that would be really interesting too. I mean, again, if if this is the road that that we're being taken, and it feels like it, it is based off of that epilogue, but it would be interesting too to see 
you know, sort of like these legendary or historical or figures that are oftentimes lifted up on a pedestal kind of be interesting to see that also be observed and looked at in a sequel if if that is what what they are planning to do so yeah i'm excited i'm just excited to, all around to to see what's next as far as this book series goes awesome well i think we're gonna end our discussion there there's just a lot to talk about with this book it covers so many different topics uh, it's dark in places. It's also exciting. And at least for me, there were definitely some funny moments as well uh, that I really, really enjoyed. I, for me, I think it was just a very surprising read. And in, in a lot of ways, I feel like all three of the books we read this year were surprising me. I I felt surprised by all of them. But this one especially, I feel like was was challenging me as a reader and challenges readers and the market and the YA community as a whole. And our culture and our society. And yeah, just a really great joy to read. I didn't, I went in not knowing anything and I came out just having a lot on my mind and a lot to think about and really excited overall. So thank you, Christy, for, I'm glad you were able to join us for this particular book club episode because you were the one who brought it to our attention. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to join this time around. I love the book and I'm so happy that it's getting the recognition recognition that it deserves. So I'm glad the community, the book community is responding well to it so far. Yeah. Shout out to you, Christy, for predicting it so early. Like I can remember your message in the Slack chat months ago and you were like, OK, this this is the book. This is the one we've got to read. Yeah, you really called it. It's been it was a fantastic read. And and hopefully, I don't know, maybe we cover the sequel in a book club in the future. But I, I want to keep reading it and, and discussing it with you all. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, we're definitely going to have more book club episodes in 2022. Don't know what those are yet. But if you're a uh, listener like feel free to reach out you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter and you can find us on instagram uh, look up bookstacked or for this podcast specifically our, our twitter handle is bookmarked ya uh, do you two want to let people know where they can find you specifically sure um you can find me on twitter at spencer b miller and you can follow me on instagram at ya canada books and I do think it would be great to hear from listeners if they have specific recommendations for our book club in 2022. If there's any books on your uh, most anticipated lists, let us know and you might be the one who picks our next book club book. Yeah, you can find me on um, both Twitter or Instagram and it's the same handle. It's Chris M and that's with four S's. And you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Saulmark. It's S-A-U-L-M-A-R-Q. Uh, thank you again for joining us. We are so appreciative that you've been here and we're excited to, to come back and keep discussing books next month. Until then, see ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.